Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello, welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Gina, not Amanda today, because Amanda's got to go do mom stuff and do the adult stuff. So I get to sit here and play on a computer and talk with cool people. And so she has to do the real work. She'll hopefully be joining us a little bit later in the episode. But um, for now, we just have to be actual good parents and take care of our kids and do the things that they need. So... I brought in Gina Human. If you guys remember, Gina was with us once before, and she told us about her story of her son. And if you go back and look, there's a TEDx talk out there about it. There's a book. Gina's talked to us about a lot of stuff, and she's been through some amazing things. If you're familiar with Rad, um, well, I can't um, I can't tell you too much. But if you're not terribly familiar with Rad, it's reactive attachment disorder, and it brings about some really interesting things that you get to learn how to deal with. And if you're a prospective foster parent, a new foster parent, if you're looking into adoption or you're a new adopter, if you work in a social uh, care or federal, yeah, I get it straight. If you work in a foster care agency or something like that, an adoption agency, and you don't know anything about it, this is time for you to sit down and listen in because this is really stinking important. I don't care what anybody says. This is one of those things that if you don't know about it, you need to at least be aware of its existence so that you can spot it if you need to and get it diagnosed and deal with it early on. And Gina's here to tell us all about that, how and why, and some stuff about a program she's starting that I'm kind of excited to hear about. So Gina, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jason. Good to see you again. Yeah, same here. Now, remind me, what was the name of your book again? Uh, Love Never Quits. That's right. Love Never Quits. <clears throat> and we talked about that book a while back when, when we talked before, but mm-hmm. you have gone about the business of, of putting together some more stuff on top of that. I have. And actually, COVID was kind of a blessing in disguise for this because um, I had just done my TED Talk um, November or no, I'm sorry, March 7th. And I believe the weekend after that, that year is when everything in the world closed down for COVID. So here I was embarking on a speaking career and, um, that just didn't happen. So, because nobody wanted live speakers. (laughs) And so I had a year and a half to kind of process this, put it, you know, think about it, put it together. I, I originally wrote my book in order to raise awareness about reactive attachment disorder. Um, that was also the reason I did my TEDx. And my TEDx really focused on how this is a societal problem. It's not just a parenting problem. It's not a parenting problem at all, in fact. Um, it's a, an original parenting problem. So when some of us adopt or get kids from foster care, or you can even get rad if um, something happens to separate you from your biological child, um, even for a very short time. Like um, if the mother or is in a prison or if the mother's in the hospital and can't be with her baby right after it's born, that can start to cause some trauma in the brain. 
And um, if the trauma is really bad and rewires the brain, it results in reactive attachment disorder. So I wanted to raise awareness about this, but it is a societal problem because most right now of the criminals that we hear about in the news, or not most, but many, many of the criminals we hear about in the news um, suffered from reactive attachment dis disorder as a kid or had some kind of early life trauma that leads them down this path. Um, and I just wanted people to be aware because it's not just our problem at my house. It's if, you know, a rad child is out in the world, we all need to help them get over that trauma. Um, and they seem to get things wrong at school <laughs> and in other places where they're watching your kid. They're not, um, we don't have neurotypical kids, so they need to be parented and reacted to differently than other kids. <laughs> you know, I remember seeing in your TED talk, you talked about some of those kids that people may have known and seen in the news who were, who were uh, known to be rad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the Oklahoma city bomber was, uh, had reactive attachment disorder. Um, I know there was, um, a school, oh, the Parkland school shooter, we believe had rad and then several other school shooters. So it's, it's a little scary because one of the manifestations of RAD is severe anger and it just overtakes the body and they can't, they can't react. They like, it just, my son was really good at therapy in when he was in the right frame of mind, he could tell you exactly what tools he's supposed to access when he's angry to help him calm down. And in the moment he couldn't access any of it. It was just, you know, it just, his brain took over and it was in this fight or flight mode and it was fighting constantly. And that's what's so hard about rad is that there, you just can't reason with somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. I have a good buddy of mine that, that I met through the dad's group that I'm a part of. And he and I talked a while back and when he heard part of my story and, and, and I was talking about some reactive attachment stuff and he mentioned to me, messaged me on the side and said, I know what you're going through. And I'm like, what? And I, I got to talk to him later on. I, I you know, called him on the phone and we had just a personal side conversation. And he told me about the story of his daughter. And mm -hmm. it was, this is his biological daughter. The mom is, uh, well, without disparaging anybody, we'll just say that the mom was not known for, um, for what we would call healthy parenting techniques. And right. a lot of the men that were in, involved in, well, maybe not even involved in her life, but who had access to her had had abused her in a number of ways to include sexual abuse a lot of that and once they he managed to get her moved and um they moved to another place apparently there was a relative who did the exact same thing in what was supposed to be their new safe home and she was very young for all of this and as a result of it she ended up dealing with rad as well and, and their whole family did and it's it's torn their family apart in a lot of ways and and we've talked about that you know he and i a lot and it's amazing how this affects what could have easily been a neurotypical child otherwise. Right. You can step into any life in any family. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how good of a parent, things like this can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing because these kids are living in that really primitive part of the brain most of the time. That, and that's the one known for survival, you know? So if a bear is chasing you, it's the part of your brain that tells you to run. And if you're living in that hypervigilant state at all times, you just don't know how to relax. You don't know how to 
calm yourself and it it's really frightening <laughs> would it be fair to say that you would see a lot of drug abuse from those kids as they uh, get into the teen years yes um typically around the teen years they self-medicate um they also get into a lot of other trouble i think it's i think they're very prone to addiction of many kinds <laughs> That's fair enough to say. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, we've we've seen some of that in, in our world, and I've, we talked with um, Richard. I'm on butcher's. I think it was Capriola, and I'm his. I turn around and get his book off the shelf just to remember the name of the book. Um, but I think it's called The Addicted Child, and he oh. talks about the the trauma triggers that that end up with a lot of kids who end up in addiction. And a lot of times we don't know what those traumas may be because if it was a a very young age sexual abuse thing where a kid was convinced by a perpetrator not to say anything to anybody, then you might not even know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you're right. This, this whole idea that, that this is not a, this is not a us problem. This is a culture problem because these kids go on out into the world and, and the world gets to deal with them. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think too many, too many foster care agencies are knowingly, giving away kids that are diagnosed with RAD and not telling the parents. And I think that's really frightening because you really need to be like trained how to parent these kids. It's not something you can do instinctually. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm hundred percent behind you on that one because we, we have experienced that. We've actually had two kids in our house over the years that have been diagnosed RAD. And, and so that's one of those things that we had zero um, training on. Mm-hmm. You knew nothing about this stuff. And, right. you know, a couple of years in, we knew that we had something there. And we went, what is this? This does not make sense. You know, I am I am a part-time, completely uneducated psychologist. If you look at my diploma on the wall, it was written with crayon on computer. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, but I spent a lot of time learning some of the stuff about psychology and kids and trying to figure out what that looks like and how can I, how can I best serve a kid in, in the place that they're in? And so I feel like I know a thing or two. I've done a lot of study. We had a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity to learn things. But I was totally blown away with this one. I did not see it at all. I didn't see it coming. Didn't see what it was. I knew nothing about any of it. So, well, it's so often misdiagnosed too. I mean, ours started out at age three and a half. They said, "Oh, clearly he has ADD." They spent like five minutes looking at him. You know, that was it. And they're like, "Here you go. Here's some medicine. Be on your way." And as parents, we don't know any better. They're the doctors. You know, we're like, "Okay, if this is what it takes, we'll do what it." takes you know and people say we over medicate our kids it's not us it's the the doctors that are telling us what to do absolutely and i know that there is a lot of that over medication and some parents are over medicating their kids i've seen that and you know that that's a lot of times you know just hey this kid is wild and i want him to calm down can you give me some calm this kid down pills <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I, I've got a little guy who I think every now and then I think he needs some of that, but, but you know, that's part of who he is. And it's just, it's part of what makes my little guy such a ball of joy to be around. <laughs> but, you know, we, we actually did take him to a doctor because we were looking at getting into school and mm-hmm. this year we, COVID had us on virtual school for the little ones and he was starting kindergarten and the teachers are like, you know, that you can see them. They're just like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> and exactly. we're sitting we're sitting here at home with him on a computer and him on our lap going, I don't know what to do with this either. And, <laughs> and 
I give mad props to, to the doctor we went to because we said, Hey, we don't really know how to, how to handle this. Um, what do you think? And he said, I think we need to wait a year before we put him on anything. And that See, was his idea. Yeah. And, and we said, okay, Hey, we're good with that. But I also, I also want to make sure we give this kid a, a fighting chance to start. And so that's, that's the route we went. And so we're going to give him a little bit of time and just see if he, he does, because he's going to be developmentally delayed a little bit because of his specific trauma as a young kid. But, but this particular doctor had the right idea, I think, but you know, I don't think he's not going to come out as, as a, as a reactive attachment. I don't believe because that's not his, his trauma story at all. Right. And I know that a lot of times we all think that we say that mm-hmm. and it's not until later on that we start to wonder what's going on here. Right. And, and like I was saying, I started out with an ADD diagnosis and then I kept going, I don't think this is ADD. And then they, then they went to bipolar and they thought he was on the autism spectrum and they thought, you know, he had sensory processing disorder or ODD. Like I can tell you, they've thrown out the alphabet soup of diagnoses for my son. And then when we finally got to rad, he was already 10 years old. You know, I'd already been struggling since he was a baby. So um, a decade of struggling before we actually got the right diagnosis. And then when they said, you know, caused by childhood trauma, we remembered meeting his foster mom in Guatemala and she had zero emotion with him. And one of the reasons we chose Guatemala at the time was because they had this great foster care program where, you know, there's only one baby allowed per household and they get lots of attention. Um, What it ended up with in Maddox's case was that um, his foster mom had all of her biological children and, and their children living with her. So he was like the extra kid. And we think she just tossed him in a corner, didn't pay any attention to him because he had all the signs of neglect, but we didn't know what to look for. So we didn't know they were signs of neglect. We, we, we just thought, wow, he's really a good eater. He loves to like dive across the food for, or table for food. We didn't think, wow, maybe he didn't get fed, you know? Um, yeah. So it, you know, once that, once they put that in place, rad trauma, and we were like, oh yeah, he, we think, you know, in his first six months, he was basically ignored. So thing is, as you've been through the system and didn't know what you were, what you were looking at, we've been through the system and we did not know what we were looking at. Exactly. Um, what, what should parents be looking for? What do, what do we need to know if, if, you're a, somebody who's interested in becoming a foster parent or something, you know, who's just getting into it. Or, or if you work at a foster care agency and you know that, that this might be a thing, but you know, they've got a lot of kids and it's going to take, you know, maybe if you got 30 cases, it might take a minute for you to recognize this. What should we be looking out for? Um, I think anger, like intense anger is, is the biggest sign for me um, that my son, you know, screamed bloody murder all the time. Even as a baby, sometimes he would scream. In fact, one time I was driving my mom to the airport and he was about two and a half. So he was talking a little bit and um, we had music on the, in the car and it was the radio and it played his favorite song. And after the song was over, he said, mama, play it again. And I said, no, buddy, I can't. It's the radio. The radio decides what we're going to listen to. And then it turned into, no! And this scream was 
you know, blood curdling. Most parents don't get to hear this scream. It's, it really sounds like someone's going to kill him and screamed bloody murder the entire way to the airport. I dropped off my mom. I came all the way home. I had to stop for gas. So now this is like an hour and a half later. (laughs) And at the gas station, he finally starts calming down. And in the meantime, like I'm driving down the highway, he's throwing his shoes at my head at 55 miles an hour. Um, Then the next shoe comes and hits the dashboard, you know, and then socks are flying at me. It was crazy. (laughs) And he finally calms down at the gas station. I said, this big mistake, right? Buddy, I don't remember what you were even crying about. And then he starts up all over again because you wouldn't play my song. And another couple hours of screaming like that is not normal. I I've told, I told my doctor at this time, this whole story. And she said, well, it's probably just terrible twos. I'm like, no, I already had a kid who went through terrible twos. This is much much more terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you took the terrible twos and condensed it all that distilled that down into, into two hours. Yes. <laughs> and for oh, those of you who don't know yet, the terrible twos started about two and they last for two years. So that's four years condensed into <laughs> two hours. Yeah, I know that scream. I know what you're talking about. It's yes. Yeah. And, um, and we'd get it all the time. And there, when he was in that screaming mode, there was no reasoning with him. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. And now I've learned that it's because the trauma brain wouldn't let that happen. So we just had to let him get it out of his system. But of course, we didn't know this for years, you know, for years, we were trying all the parenting books, we went to therapy, we went to other therapy, we went to group therapy, like, nothing seemed to work. They kept giving us sticker charts and sticker charts are not going to work on a kid with rad. They actually make the problem worse. <laughs> yeah. And and as a parent, now you're the parent in public who has a kid who's acting like crazy and, and that affects you. Oh my God. I'm such a perfectionist too. And I compare myself to people all the time. I'm trying to get out of that habit, but, <laughs> but it was constantly embarrassing being the the mom of the bad kid, you know, and I didn't know what to do. I was at such a loss. I'm like, you know, my other kid is really well behaved. I'm doing all the same techniques on this one that I am on this one, but they're not working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now as any true perfectionist goes, you know (laughs) that you have to work harder at not being a perfectionist so you can do it perfectly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that, though, with, with especially with your kids and in public and that behavior, that, that creates a lot of shame, I'm certain, in your own mind. I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here a bit. Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of shame and, and guilt because I can't do this. Like, I've had lots of kids come through my house. I should mm-hmm. be able to handle this. This is just another kid. I can handle this. And, and then suddenly I can't. Yeah. And it's, it's horrible. And you feel like a failure a lot of the time. And then your child grows up with this low self-esteem because 
they're constantly getting yelled at. They're always the bad kid. They're, you know, and so we're trying to get my son out of that right now. Now my, we're at a very happy place right now where my son is no longer angry. I mean, he does get angry like a normal person does now, but it's not, you know, punching holes in the walls and throwing knives at us anymore. So we're not worried at all about safety anymore, but, um, he still has a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-esteem issues that we're working through now. But um, I, I now feel like he's going to be a productive, awesome member of society someday. <laughs> That's a great place to be. Yes. <laughs> so I'm curious. Um, I know last time we talked to you, you talked quite a bit about the the um, therapy that you guys had gone through and, and what it helped him and what it helped you and your husband walk through this. And, and you've got this program, um, uh, it is, I wrote it down so I don't mess it up, it's Trauma Drama University. That's correct. I'm starting a new business. So that's what COVID gave me the chance to do was figure out how I was going to use all this stuff I was putting out there and help other parents. And for me, helping parents is just as important as helping the kids because you guys are the ones that are you know, going through the day to day with these kids. So, and I knew how the parents felt because when your kids in therapy, you know, you just feel so alone, like all, and then you hear all the other parents bragging about, Oh, you know, Bobby's on the, the, the Dean's list or, you know, Sally's got all these awards for all the things she does. And I'm like, yeah. And I spend all my money taking my kid to therapy and he still wants to kill me. Like it's, it really sucks having to hear all that. So I'm trying to create this positive, supportive community for um, parents who are dealing with difficult kids, like kids with RAD specifically, but other forms of early life trauma as, as well. And just regular parenting tactics aren't working. So it's a combination, self-care, education, and um, support. <laughs> So I'm going to have a little of everything. I have four online courses that I've designed. That was my job. I'm a professor by trade. So, and I, I got a degree in online learning. So I created these online classes to basically give you the background of trauma and what it does to the brain, how parents are at risk of PTSD from having to raise a child like this. Um, different strategies that um, you might want to pursue. I'll, I'll give an overview of different treatments and therapies that have been known to help with kids that have trauma. And um, what else? Yeah, and then monthly, we're going to have a Zoom session with industry experts. So um, I have in September, we're going to talk about how to write an IEP or a 504 plan for schools. Um, I have another woman coming to talk about all that happens with the trauma brain and why these kids don't work, um, why parenting tactics don't work for kids. So, so in the program, it'll be a full year. There'll be, um, you know, a support board that's private. So you're not on Facebook and people aren't taking pictures of your postings and giving them to the courts to use against you. I know that has happened. <laughs> so this will be a private community. It'll just be my people and I will monitor everything. Um, but then, you know, it'll give you a place to get some advice from other parents who've been there before. 
And, um, and then the education piece and this monthly Zoom session. I'm also going to do like a, I don't know what to call it yet, but like a Thursday once a month, we're going to do something fun. So it's either going to be a self-care activity or a book club that has to do with trauma or a watch party. So I'm going to throw some fun things in as well. So it'll feel like you're part of this community and you can actually have friends who understand what you're going through. Yeah, that's been one of the bigger things I've had in my life over the last several years is I'm a member of a dad's group. And to be able to step into that space where I talk to other men who have been through some of the similar struggles as a dad, as a dad who has to work too many hours to, to help you know take care of your family, as a dad who struggles with, with connecting with your kids or connecting with your wife and dealing with, you know, we talk a lot about our, our own past trauma. As a matter of fact, the guy I was talking about earlier who whose daughter was was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. I met him there as well. And you know, the, the beauty of that group is that um, the guy who runs it has done an amazing job of curating the people that are allowed in that group mm-hmm. so that we don't have those issues. We don't, right. we have, we have grown men 40, 50 years old who are talking about some of their struggles with the, things like a pornography addiction and speaking about it openly and it's amazing how much that has helped so many guys. I, I talk with one of the guys there who, who's who been through a lot of that stuff, and it's due to some sexual trauma in his early life with some uh, some family members who were the perpetrators. And, you know, we, we talk about this stuff a lot, but it's because, it's only because that community was built and we have a place where we can have that community and have that that trust that the people there are good people who are going to walk this road with us. So it sounds like you're on the road to something amazing because I don't know anybody who's doing this stuff with reactive attachment. Yeah. I'm, that's what I was looking for was like some kind of niche where I could find the sweet spot to help these parents not feel so alone and to give them some tools so that you can explain to your aunts and uncles and parents who are making all kinds of, uh, you know, giving you all kinds of unwarranted advice (laughs) on how to parent, we can, you know, educate them on what is going on with our kids and why that isn't going to work. So, I I mean, if I had all those tools back then, I, I really think if I had a community like this, when I was, you know, first going through this, I I could have shortened our process. Um, And for me, I think, Learning to get to the right mindset was really important as well. Um, I had to understand that this wasn't my son's fault. He wasn't a bad kid. He wasn't doing this on purpose to make me mad or to hurt me. This was how he was wired. And we have to figure out how to rewire his brain to help him overcome this. So I actually had, I, I made myself a vision board of things to do about trauma and how it affects the brain. Once I got to the rad diagnosis and I hung it right by my bed. So every night when I went to sleep and every morning when I woke up, I could see what trauma did to his brain and how it's not his fault. And that helped me become his advocate. Like I had to put on my superhero cape and become some some kind of super mom <laughs> to figure this out. <laughs> and that's what I want to do is empower other moms and dads to do the same thing. <laughs> and you mentioned that that whole judgment of family. And you know, mind you, I am 40 something, mid 40s. I had to think a little bit and do math. But <laughs> when when we first had a, a kid in our home who was who was rad and 
my grandma was around and my grandma, God rest her soul. She does not believe in, you know, those in diagnoses and stuff. She came from the generation, you know, she was born in, I want to say it was 1928. She was raised in poverty, went through trauma of her own, and her life is was a story of, of recurring traumas over the years. And so when we bring a kid in with this sort of issue, um, do you think she was loving and kind in the way that she approached that? Or maybe she was the kid that, or the grandma that those kids began to refer to as the angry grandma. Oh, yeah, 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 because we would have that that meltdown happen in the car and she would get mad like it was a personal affront to her that he was having a meltdown in the car. And she's like, like turned around like, yeah, yeah. I mean, just an, an elderly German woman who was who did not take she raised three boys on her mm-hmm. own over, you know, so she, she had she didn't lack for any um, any chutzpah. She could uh, <laughs> she could put it down. And she was, but that was a way that she would react to him. And then I would hear about it later, Mm -hmm. but the family thing, not understanding where that really comes from, because it takes a lot for us to understand it. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Yes. Oh, I know. And I I have relatives. I won't be specific who they are, but... (laughs) (laughs) relatives who you know were like why don't you ever discipline your kid why don't you just spank them and I'm like okay because the therapists all say that's not the thing to do so um, the smart people say don't do that it doesn't work yes well even just you know timeouts don't work with those kids because that like brings up feelings of isolation and so that brings up anger inside them if they were neglected and so if I every time I tried to put my kid in time out and he didn't he didn't stay and he'd scream and he'd scream and it took me forever to realize that that wasn't the way to work to discipline with him instead we would like sit down and like try to just be calm and talk to him and you know is he gonna learn after five, six, uh, eight times, I don't know, but eventually it did, it did work. <laughs> yeah. It, that idea that discipline is the answer to everything. It's not always true. It's kind of akin to giving some uh, antibiotics to cure cancer. Right. <laughs> you know, you've got this big, nasty, hairy thing over here and you're trying to, trying to manage it with something that that's meant for something much less serious. Right. And, you know, I'm really excited that Oprah is involved now. There's a new book out now called what, happened to you with Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. I don't know if you've heard about this book, but I have not blew my mind away. Like every parent, every teacher, every boss should read this book because it basically explains how people, why people act the way they do. And there's a good section in there on kids with trauma and how that first couple of years, really the first six months of life is when there's rapid brain growth. And if they're getting neglected there, it's really hard to come back from that. And so now I'm hoping now that Oprah's involved, we can really get, you know, some 
awareness of reactive attachment disorder and childhood trauma and what that can do to our society as a whole. And my dream is to work with Oprah, you know, so, (laughs) you know, she has a bit of a lightning rod when when it comes to causes like that. So uh, I'm really stoked to hear that because we're just not, we're not built to, to see things that way and understand it because it's not neurotypical kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what conventional wisdom is based on. It's this idea of neurotypical kids because I've, I've got had plenty of kids in my house and there's lots of kids where, I mean, I'm not going to lie, an occasional, you know, hard hand on the soft side of the back to go, you know, thump. Hey, pay attention. Don't do that. You're going to kill yourself, dude. Come on. You know, keep your finger out of the light socket. I have said that more times than I can count to the same kid. Um <laughs> But, you know, it's every a neurotypical kid, that's not necessarily going to cause trauma or cause problems. There right. are other kids, though, though, that that when you see this and, and you assume that the same medicine works the same way for everybody, mm-hmm. suddenly it turns turns dangerous and scary. And it, it creates this this environment that's not healing or helpful for anybody to include the parents. Right. That's been one of the struggles that we've seen a lot of parents have through this is that you just don't know what it is. And so lest I scare everybody off who ever thought about becoming a foster parent, because you're going to eventually get a rad kid who's going to make your life horrible and dangerous, and you're going to be terrified and ruin it for you. I don't want to say that at all. No. (laughs) I don't know what the the, the prevalence of, of reactive attachment is as far as how many, what the percentage of kids who deal with that is. Um, I'm not sure. I've heard it's like less than 1%. It's pretty small. But in foster care and in adoption, it tends to be a lot more prevalent because there is usually a reason they were removed from their first parenting situation. And so usually that trauma then doesn't get addressed. They just move them to another place and go, here you go. Here's your kid. Have fun. There, it's just like having real kids or what biological kids, just like having <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And, and from the way you described the, the kind of the nexus of that, it sounds a whole lot like, you know, maybe parents were the, the father may not be there or involved at all. And the mom might have a, a drug addiction issue. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, if they're teenage parents and they really don't know a lot about parenting, then that could be a problem. Or um, there's a book that Dr. Bruce Perry wrote called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And that is like a case study on a boy who had rad and he was actually raised as a dog. This is a sad, sad story. His birth mother was like young, super young, and she died. And then Um, The only family was this disabled um, grandmother and her mentally disabled boyfriend and the grandmother died. And so this mentally disabled man who's not related to them was um, raising this child and he was a dog trainer and he knew all kinds of things about training dogs. So he just put the kid in a cage and gave it a bowl of food and a bowl of water and Six years before CPS took him away from this guy, they kept going, well, at least he's being fed. So, <laughs> oh, wow. It's horrible. And that was the first case of rad, I think, that he had encountered and he figured out how to tame this child a little bit. And it's a really interesting story, but um, just crazy if, if you don't know 
what to do with a baby, that could be a, a huge problem. <laughs> yeah, that it's, as you described that, that's man. How many how many people do we know who are raising kids? So you look at and think, yeah, you probably shouldn't be responsible for raising a child, you know? Because it's quite frankly, I've picked up kids from the hospital, um, even one of my own, and they did not give me any instructions with that thing. No, I kids are the one thing that don't come with an instruction manual because every kid is different. So every book would be different. <laughs> Not that I would read it because I'm a guy, right? And we we notoriously forget to read the instructions. Directions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so difficult for for kids to or for adults to know what you're doing, and especially when you have people who have been hurt themselves. And it's been said so many times in my life that hurt people hurt people hurt people yep so like if you suffered trauma that's gonna come out in your parenting and i didn't know that either but one of when we did this rad therapy for our family one of the first things that we did was go through our past and of course my my husband was raised like you know with ward and june cleaver from the beaver leave it to beaver like the perfect happy family and i had a little bit of trauma in my childhood so um yeah i left that therapy like oh my god i didn't realize how much my kid triggered me triggered all these memories of my own childhood and you know i i would shut down sometimes instead of you know staying calm myself i would just kind of go into that freeze mode and it's hard. It's, it's really hard if you're dealing with your own trauma and also trying to raise a kid with trauma. So that's something else is we have to get in the right mindset and make sure that we can keep ourselves healthy as much as possible. So it's good that me and Amanda came from such a healthy place, you know, with nothing more than cults and drug addicted parents and <laughs> history. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, when we lost our daughter a few years ago, we ended up going to see a grief counselor and Dr. Tom, who I don't think listens to this episode. If he does, he's heard me more than once call him a genius because he's been able to reach into those places for both of us, I think, mm -hmm. and really help us deal with a lot of the stuff that comes out of our past and our history. Because, you know, again, I, I have said this before. I'll say it again. Mom, if you're listening, I'm not mad at my mom. I'm not mad at my dad. I don't think they did anything on purpose. They weren't trying to cause any problems. They didn't realize what was going on. They did the best they could with what they had. And sometimes some people in certain cultures, especially do not have the tools necessary to deal with their own trauma and they raise kids as best as they can, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's the way that's going to be healthy for them all the time. Right. And that's, that's my goal there is, is not to, not to talk smack about my parents or blame everything in my life on them because God knows I made my fair share of mistakes. I, I don't know about you, but I made my fair share of mistakes oh, and I'm yeah. responsible for plenty of that. But there's some things there that, that I didn't realize were affecting who I was as a dad. And I started out as a, as a dad, much like my own father, who was the one in charge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's a benevolent dictatorship. It's right. ruling with an iron fist. And let me tell you something. The first rad kid you have or ODD kid, oppositional defiance disorder, I was lost. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this? Because if I say up before I get the P out and up, he's already screaming down. <laughs> right. And, and the more I try, the, the less it works. Right. And then it's real easy to get that in your head that this, this kid sucks. This kid hates me. This kid is hard and I can't do this. And you know, what made this kid so bad? And 
So that's why I made this, I made this vision board that I put by my bed. So now I've made it into a professional looking poster and anybody can get it for free. Um, it will remind you of your child, what, what your child has been through and what their brain is causing in behaviors. So um, if anybody wants that, it's at traumadramauniversity.com slash poster. Um, you don't need the www in front. Traumadramauniversity.com slash poster. So if anybody wants it, you can just download it for free and see if that's a tool that helps you. It helped me a lot. So I'm giving that out right now. knows that all of us will, we need some help anywhere. And so anything that will help a little is, is on the right path, right? Yeah, that's what I figured. So that's my, that's my free tool. And then um, I do have a webinar that I'm going to be sending out after the poster. So, um, but we start, and I think this episode's going to run like right when we start. So it'll be um, my pre-launch week, the July 26th, and we're ready to go. I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah. So when this one comes out, if you guys are listening to this, you should be able to uh, go find it immediately because it was posted yesterday. Yay! <laughs> so we're, we're going to make sure that this lines up so that people can find this because trauma is real. Mental mm-hmm. issues are real. And those two things tend to run hand in hand. And we have a lot of struggles in our society based on this. And I love what you said earlier about how this is not a me problem. It's a culture problem. This mm-hmm. is a societal issue because if we don't deal with this now, if we don't work with it now, we're going to be working with it 10, 20 years from now when these kids are in prison for petty theft or in prison for murder or in prison for becoming a school shooter or, you know, somehow or another really negatively impacting a lot of culture. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's so important that everybody needs to get involved in this and educated about it so that even if you are the parent who's in the grocery store, you can, you can see something going on and approach it differently. Right. You can talk to that parent. You can help them rather than stand and shame them because I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, but I, I'll go ahead and I, I'm an open book. I tell all my stories. And <laughs> the sto- you know, I was the guy who would, who would take my kids in the grocery store and see a kid having a meltdown and look at my son in the cart and go, what would happen if I did that to you, if you tried that stuff to me? And he said, I'd get my butt whooped. And I didn't, didn't care if they heard me or not. I actually probably cared more that they did hear me because I was busy being in my judgmental self and, and trying to make sure they knew that, Hey, this guy, over here, I, this, this big hairy guy over here, he's the one who has it figured out. And you obviously aren't disciplining your child. Right. I was right. that, that a-hole of a guy who was in the, in the store. And I feel like I really need to, uh, to have some, a little bit of, uh, um, I need to pay a bit of a price for that. So I need to, to get out here and work hard to help push that, that message out. Yes. And I was the same way. I, my first kid was super easy. He, you know, he would, he was so polite. He, um, you know, he would, he was the one kid who was still sitting at the end of the birthday party until somebody excused him from the table. Um, <laughs> he would say please. And thank you all the time. I was like, oh, I am so good at this motherhood thing. <laughs> and then I got a red kid. So I, I'm like, God, okay, I learned my lesson the first year. Like, really? Did it have to last this long? But I think it did so that I could try to help other people. You know, like, it got so ingrained in me to help, you know, try educating people about what he's going through 
that I'm, I really want to help other parents do the same. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that the parents need to know. And like I said, whether you are a foster parent or not just a biological parent, I say just a biological parent, like that's not a challenge, (laughs) right? I have biological kids too. I know how much of a challenge that can be. Uh, so don't, don't take it that way. But you know, or, or if you're a foster parent or if you are a, a caseworker or if you work at an adoption agency or maybe you work um, somewhere else in the world that helps with child welfare, because I think that's something that all of us, all of us need to have some education on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, I expect you to get this word out, especially once you get to working with Oprah. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> she's, hey. still on, she's on my new vision board. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Just make sure you, you get her in your Rolodex because uh, <laughs> then you'll be the cool kid who, who can, who can really reach millions of people really All quickly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that, that to hear that she's actually on board with some of that stuff because it's, it's what we need in this culture. Yes. Well, she suffered a lot of trauma as well, which you learn in the book. And, you know, she didn't have anybody fighting for her. She didn't, she wasn't adopted, but she was, um, she had a lot of trauma in her early life. So she gets it. (laughs) It's interesting. You mentioned that, uh, just because the, um, last week's episode that just aired was the Asian Oprah. At least that's how she was introduced by um, one of Oprah's friends, introduced her to Oprah as the Asian Oprah. Oh, cool. Told her story of of having her own level of trauma as a kid and the way that her she was treated and, and how that manifested in her life and mm-hmm. how it caused her a whole lot of problems. And, and it went all the way on into her adulthood and her first marriage and kids and problems like that, where how it changed her life and mm-hmm. how it shaped her life and how she's she's learned to reshape that. She's had to go through a lot of those struggles. Now, I don't think she was ever diagnosed rat or anything like that, but she had her own fair share of troubles. You know, thankfully her trauma did not, did not run as deep as some, some does. Yes. Well, and that's just the thing. Like some kids can, I mean, you can have two kids go through the exact type of neglect and one of them comes out fine and the other has rat, you know, it just totally depends on the kid. So you know, you say that, and I have two kids exactly like that, <laughs> exactly like that night and day different reaction to it. And and for my own sake of peace of mind, I've sat down and tried to figure that out. And it's either just in God's wiring, how the kid is wired, or it may have something to do with these two kids were slightly different ages when they went through that trauma and it affected them differently because of where they were at in their own developmental cycles. That's exactly right. So that, that makes a huge difference. The age at which the trauma happens is, is a huge difference. Yeah. And again, my psychology degree is it's still in, in, you know, burnt sienna crayon over there. So (laughs) don't put too much behind this, but I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a firm believer now that, that the part of the brain that, that, that handles developmental stages when it gets, every time it gets reactivated and, you know, we, we know from Freud and, you know, about the early childhood, we know about latency and then, pre-adolescence and adolescence. And then there's that part where in our twenties where, where kids neocortex really develops and, and all that. So there's another one. And we've always called the midlife crisis, you know, the, the guy with the hairy chest in the Corvette, but I mean, let's just go ahead and face it. That sounds a lot to me, like another developmental stage, almost like our brain just never stops developing. 
Well, exactly. And the good thing about the brain is that like neuroplasticity means we can continually change our brain. Um, I'm doing neurofeedback right now to help me with my PTSD and it's really helping. So I think it can really, you can still rewire your brain even at our age. <laughs> you can, you can, but how many people do you know that are 30, 40 or 50 years old who are willing to admit that that, that thing that happened when they were a kid still controls them today? Well, I feel like more more people are talking about it now than than when I was a kid, but um, I'm still hoping to erase that stigma so people will get help. In fact, in our state in Colorado, we just passed a law that um, insurance companies now have to cover a mental well checkup and a physical well checkup every year. So I think that's going to help a lot because at least then people will be, you know, talking to someone once a year, at least. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially for kids, because kids don't have that ability to number one, know what neurotypical looks like. Right. And number two, even if they know something's wrong, they don't always have the ability to get out there and, and ask for help, especially if somebody in their, in their family is, is the one causing the, the issues with them. If the right. abuser is, is the one who takes you to the doctor, are you going to tell the doctor that your abuser is sitting beside you? Right. Well, and then one of the other problems with RAD is that our kids tend to lie a lot. Mine, thankfully, didn't do that much lying. But, you know, it, there was a lot of, like, who left the milk out? Not me, not me. And it was always him. But <laughs> that that's a minor lie for a kid. But um, some of these kids make up, you know, that they're being abused at, in the home. And it's not true. So it's really hard for RAD parents because... The kids will lie about things that aren't even true. I know, I know for a fact one of my friends who had a rad child, um, a rad daughter, was making false accusations against her husband, and you know they ended up putting cameras all over the house and everything. And I believe they ended up having to relinquish her because it was too dangerous for the rest of the family. She had like three older brothers she was accusing as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's <clears throat> those lies are, <laughs> yeah, that rings a bell. I mean, mm -hmm. I woke up one morning to the, uh, to the distinct aroma of pot in my house. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, my dad was allergic to marijuana. And so I inherited some part of that. I'm not really allergic to it, but I cannot handle the smell, but the smell of it just turns my stomach. It, and I, it makes, it gives me a headache. I just, I can't handle it. I don't hang around people who smoking weed, you know, think what you want about it. It's a miracle drug. It's the cure for everything, or it's a horrible, you know, the devil's lettuce, <clears throat> whatever you want to think. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. I just know that I am really incredibly sensitive to that smell. And I woke up in the middle of the night to, my room is just reeks of it. And the particular child that that I talked to about it, he, he can't seem to believe that the cold air return vent that's in his room that pulls air into the furnace system and the air conditioning system, um, it distributes that smell across the whole house pretty widely. Uh -huh. And, you know, to just straight lies about it almost. And I almost think he believes his lies. Hmm. And that's that's been an interesting thing to to just watch is that I don't think he even knows that he's lying sometimes. I, mm -hmm. I question his ability to really grasp what truth is. Wow. Because truth is what is convenient or maybe even more so it's it's what's what can save me from this moment right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he was well, really concerned that was going to cause him problems. And so the truth didn't come out for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And a lot of times they triangulate too. Like in a normal, you know, parent child relationship, you hear, Oh, mom said, no, go ask dad. But they take it to another level of mom did this to me. And then dad doesn't know who to believe. And, you know, then you're in this triangulation mess. And that that's a big problem with rat as well. We have seen that in our own home. And I will say that if you're going to foster, if you're going to take in kids from hard places, make certain that you have a strong relationship with your spouse. If you're married, if you have a spouse in your house, you better just do that work ahead of time because you're going to need it. And I don't care if you have a rad kid or not, you're going to need some strong relational ties there to be able to walk through it shoulder to shoulder and not end up nose to nose at the end of it. Right. And I was going to say, and if you are a single parent, you need to find another single parent to bond with and help out because you'll need each other. Absolutely. That's that, that relational piece to, to have somebody to bounce these things off of to, mm-hmm. is just so valuable, just so valuable. And, and, you know, my wife and I have had a strong marriage. We've been together for 20 years at this point. Um, yeah. She's not sitting here to hit me because I don't remember the exact date, but okay. <laughs> at some point it's okay to not remember the exact date. we got 20 years together at least. So that's enough. But, uh, you know, but even at the beginning of all this, there were times when I was going, Hmm, I keep hearing this thing that like, he, you know, they're saying, Oh, mom, this, and she does that. And this different heat person in the house when you're not here, dad, and it's so horrible. And I'm like, this, this doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. And I talk to the other kids and I don't hear the same thing from the other kids in the house. And so I can kind of pretty quick figure that out. But as a single parent, you're just, you're the sole target of all that other anger. Yes. And, and, you, and you absolutely need a break as a rad parent to just go out and be yourself (laughs) and not always be the parent. So that's really important. So finding like a support system that will at least watch your kid would be really helpful. (laughs) We're a big fan of date night for more than one reason. But yes. <laughs> having that ability to, to to go out and just connect, you know, and things as simple as we've got a little bar down the road from us here. And I don't drink. I gave up drinking a few years ago. And my wife doesn't drink either anymore. We just, it's not part of our life. Um, not mad at anybody who does. It's just, it's just how we choose to live our life. But this little bar has got a, 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 a jukebox in it there. That's not what they call it these days. I don't know what it is. I have to get on my phone and use an app to play music, but we can play music that uh, unless they're there are the people there are our age. They don't know any of the music because it's all the stuff from the nineties that we grew up with. And there's a pool table and we can shoot pool or we can go sit over on the side and talk and chat and just spend some time doing things we did years ago as young adults without kids, man, that's just so, so refreshing to be able to stop for a minute Mm-hmm. not be the guy who's trying to put out all the fires. Right. Yeah. It's really important. Uh, we we tried to do date nights, but we had no family living nearby and, you know, it was hard to find a good babysitter. So like we would typically just go out. Like if my in-laws came to visit for a week, we would try to take a date night, <laughs> but um, we sh- we really needed more, I think. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I think we all need more. I don't think we, any of us do a very good job of, uh, of setting those date nights up the way that we probably should so that we can, we can show up best for our family at home and for the kids who need our help. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the lessons I've had to learn is that 
sometimes you have to say no, not now, so that I can go do the things that's going to make bring me back and and fill up my cup a little bit and allow me to be able to be the guy that I need to be, to be the dad that I need to be, to be the husband I need to be and, yep. and lead my family in a direction that does not involve, you know, my head about to explode and the stress and the this and the that all kind of piling up because it will, it will with kids in general, especially when you have kids yep. with trauma. And moms especially are just horrible at self-care. So we need to do a better job. Can you tell Amanda that? Yeah, I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) She knows it. (laughs) I know we'll be working on it in Trauma Drama University. So (laughs) Excellent. And and that's, I want to touch base, you know, before we get off here about that again. So how can people find that and get hooked up with it and get uh, get started talking to you? Yeah, um, they can email me at Gina at TraumaDramaUniversity.com. They can go to the website, which is www.TraumaUniversity.com. TraumaDramaUniversity.com. Um, I'm going to send you the link to the webinar. So if you want to put it with the show notes. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. And then, um, and then I also, you can go get the free poster at TraumaDramaUniversity.com forward slash poster. And that will lead into some more information about RAD. And um, it'll be good. <laughs> Good. That, that's what we need. We need to make sure that we can get this information out there so that people can find it on the uh, on the web. Because, my God, aren't we lucky to be in a, in a world where we can yeah. sit hundreds of miles apart and talk about something that that is something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, but we would not have met otherwise. And to be able to set this up to where we can we can help to, you know, to, to propagate this information out there to anybody in the world who wants to hear it. And I love you guys. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what I always say about my my little godson is that he is an amazing little dude, but he has horrible taste in humans because he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. You're a good guy. Well, depends on the day. And, and honestly, that to be truly transparent and vulnerable here, that a lot of that, you know, that that negative self-talk will come back and it comes out a lot of that because I've had my moments. I've oh, had yeah. my moments with kids in that in that space. You know, there was there was one particular moment that I think about a lot when I talk about that, and um, that's when I found a kid messing around who had he had figured out I had we, you know we're in Missouri and you you're legally required to own and love at least one gun, and um, <laughs> you know I had all my stuff locked up in a cabinet. It wasn't a real safe; it was just a cabinet. And when I'd found a kid breaking into there, I'm like, "Whoa, hang on." I didn't know he was, he was capable of doing that. He Ooh. wasn't old enough to figure out how to break into, it was lock. It was a lockable deal. There, there was keys and locks and stuff. Wow. And that was not enough. I ended up having to go down to the, down to the gun store and buy a real gun safe that I know you can't break into because, the, <laughs> because it has inch and a quarter bolts that go out and lock it into place into, into the steel. So you're not getting into it, but you know that I'm not going to say that that didn't trigger quite the moment in me to go, Hey, you're putting everybody in their house at a mortal risk with that. And and some of those moments are the ones that I look back on and and at myself and just really kind of disgusted with who I was in those moments, because again, that's where my own fight or flight was triggered. Mm -hmm. Yep. I I think none of us are perfect parents or perfect people, but we try. But we try. And that's the key there is we're trying. 
Yep. Turns out and we're not going to. When we learn better, we do better, right? That's true. That's true. But we're not going to get to perfection, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Not the side of heaven. <laughs> I'm learning to let some of that go. I'm glad you are. I mean, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm slowly working on getting there, but I haven't done a great job with it. And parents in general, I think we all have that that thing. And when you parent a child from a, from a truly hard place who has some some serious traumas that you don't understand, that science doesn't understand, the world doesn't understand, we feel even more more like we failed in right. ways where we probably have done amazing jobs, but we can't see it. Right. Yes. Well, we need to rise each, raise each other up. <laughs> amen. Amen. And that the community at Trauma Drama University sounds like exactly the perfect place to do that. Yes, it is. <laughs> because who better to, to talk to about these things for somebody to be able to to, to tell us, Hey, you're actually doing a good job. You know, it wasn't, I don't think I didn't feel it until our, our actual, our therapist one day said to us, you realize that you've been dealing with this. You've been dealing with a reactive attachment case for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Most people don't get that far. Yeah. And to have a professional tell me that was what I needed. I needed somebody who knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. to actually validate that thought. Cause I really would, I would think that thought for a second and then think, ah, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal until I would fail again. And it was a big deal and all in the wrong direction. So, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's a long road. (laughs) So creating that community where people can, can help to lift one another up and, and commiserate when need be and, and to step in and and help each other walk through that. That's just an amazing idea, Gina. And I am so happy to see that, that coming to fruition for you because, you know, COVID was, it was a terrible thing. I've known some people who've been through some really terrible issues throughout this COVID pandemic, but, but I've also seen some amazing things pop out of it. And this, I think Mm -hmm. is going to be one of the, one of the lights in the darkness here. And it's that little pinpoint of light that you just never know where it's going to go. Oh, thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. And like I mentioned earlier, um, if you're listening to this on the, uh, on the podcast, then there is a really, really, really good opportunity for you to just get online and go over to traumadramauniversity.com and you can find this, find her information and find her program right there. And you can begin to, uh, to step into a place that we didn't have when we needed it. So um, go do it. Yay. Okay. Foster care nation. Thank you for listening to Gina's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have a Patreon you can where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I think you guys are cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.